This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Die Hard on a Blank, the podcast where we explore the influence of Die Hard on action cinema, one action movie at a time. I'm Philip Gawthorne. And I'm Liam Billingham. And today's film is John Woo's 1992 masterpiece, Masterpiece. Hard Boiled. It's Die Hard in a Hospital. Die Hard in a Hospital. Where do we start? Oh my God, Phil. Um... Let's start with John Woo. Okay. How do we feel about John Woo? How do you feel about John Woo? Phil, yes. how do you feel about John Woo? Reverential. Oh, like, my God. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I almost can't articulate how much I'm in awe of this man. And you know, the other thing I think is so interesting about John Woo, by the way, if you if his life story is very interesting and he had yeah. a pretty hard, hard life. But one of the things I think is so interesting about him is if you think about a lot of the action, the great action directors, which I want to talk about later, like James Cameron, Michael Bay, Tony Scott, right? T- guys like that who are these forceful personalities, alpha guys. McTiernan. McTiernan, you know, and, and many more that we'll talk about. But John Woo is like the opposite. Like th- their personalities match the movies they make yeah, to some extent. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're these big, larger-than-life, bombastic personalities. And John Woo is this s- sort of soft-spoken, soft-spoken intellectual kind of poet. He's a poet. He's a poet. You know, and I love that disparity. And I think his sort of sweetness and sensitivity and spirituality as well comes through in the most violent blood fests you've ever seen. That's what makes them transcendent. I was texting a buddy about this film the other day and he was like, yeah, John Woo is a poet. And so I think it's worth saying that John Woo, who we'll call the poet of action cinema, uh, started his career in Hong Kong, made a couple amazing movies, A Better Tomorrow, A Better Tomorrow Part 2, The Killer, Hard Boiled, before getting invited to Hollywood and making, among others, Hard Target, Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow, Face Off. The daddy. The, <laughs> just, the, just the Mac daddy <laughs> yeah. of John Woo American films. Wind Talkers, Paycheck, yep. and then went back to Hong Kong and made films like Red Cliff and is making now a few other films and is sort of... He is... I mean, th- this movie, this is a really, this film, but particularly John Woo, re- is my entry in a lot of ways into foreign cinema. Yeah, so I wanted to ask about, like, how uh, how did you come across and discover Hong Kong cinema and, and John Woo and I think Ringo a big Lam? Part of and- it, I think a big part of this is, is honestly Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. So, like, many, many a young man in his... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> early teenage years, I was pretty into... I liked Pulp Fiction, but I was really into Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs is like was like my jam. And um, in reading about Reservoir Dogs, I discovered that it was inspired by... Some would say inspired by City on Fire, the Ringo yes. Lamb film from... And so reading a little bit about City on Fire, I could not find a copy of City on Fire. This was the heady days of 1994, probably. But the video store that I frequented and eventually worked at, and a surprise to no one, had a copy of The Killer. Mm-hmm. 
And so I rented and watched The Killer, and I was like, wow. And that also coincided with Broken Arrow, which mm-hmm. is a, a movie that I think is is just a really I love r- great, Arrow. great, really I fun wait to action talk about movie. It. Uh, Die Hard in the Canyon and um, Die Hard in the Desert. Die Hard in the Desert. That's good. And uh, Face Off, which is really, 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 really like I think a totally perfect. Like I remember seeing Face Off and being like, "This movie is a revelation." It's it's like action cinema at its zenith, right? You it know? really is, and it's John Woo like the. It was almost like I love his earlier. I love Hard Target. I love Broken Arrow. But it's almost they were almost sort of stepping stones to make Face Off. I think in the way that some might say, like A Better Tomorrow and The Killer were stepping stones to make Hard Boiled. Yeah. You know? I mean, there's there's many more great movies that John Wayne made, Bullet in the Head, and and you Bullet know a bunch of bunch, bunch of others. I don't want to be reductive to his uh, filmography, but my personal opinion is that he, even I love Hard Boiled more than. Um, than Face Off, and I love yeah. Face Off, and I could on, I would almost, and this this is going to be controversial. Wait, you heard it here. But Hard Boiled might be a better action movie than Die Hard. What? No, uh, I I texted you this while watching it the other night. <laughs> Phil, is this the greatest movie ever? made you know it's this is an interesting moment we're talking about you know hong kong cinema these kinds of things and uh you know you said die hard in a hospital but which you know the second hour of this movie takes place in a hospital and i think we can break down the plot a little bit but it's also maybe <laughs> interesting to think about it as die hard in a in a gun fu movie yes. which is one way that people describe sort of john Woo's cinema where the where the action, and we'll get into this more in the section, is the guns are not treated like they are in other American action films in particular. Uh, they're, they're treated in a very, very different way. I mean, and we, which I want to say for the action section, but I just, I, I, my jaw was, I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. It's a movie I remember watching for the first time, which is significant because when I was 13, 14, I watched a lot of movies, but I remember turning this movie on and being like, what is this? I've never... No American movie could ever touch this. There's, and I don't even necessarily mean in terms of quality. I just mean no one makes movies... There's just nothing like There's it, There's right? nothing it's, like it. It's I'm like, unique, distinct, yeah. just an extraordinary, exuberant, thrilling, exhilarating, you know, nonstop... It's a masterpiece. It's, it's also, like, energetic, beautiful, highly Soulful, melodramatic. You know? Um, it's sort of like... Oh yeah, it's it's thematically rich, even though you ne- you don't spend a lot of time thinking about like what it's about, but it's about a multitude of different yeah. things, and and I think hugely influential in terms of its. You can just see everyone referencing it after the fact. Not but only no in movies, one can in video close, games. I don't think, you know, you know, I don't know if you remember. There was a Die Hard trilogy game for yeah, the I PlayStation. It. Me too. Uh, yeah, I yeah, thought it was, yeah. so it was first, awesome. It yeah. was really, it was really good. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah, and it was all three. Die Hard movies in one CD, right? And the first one that takes place in Nakatomi, you play John McClane running around, and the camera, camera, so to speak, the game was the third person behind him as he mm, walked down the hallway. Mm. And this movie does that yeah. in a sequence. So you can feel the influence this and had I, on and video James games. James Cameron would do that a lot, particularly in um, True Lies. It's, it's a technique that I find particularly 
exhilarating. When the camera is behind, like if there's an assault happening, like the sequence in this movie where the motorcycles go and attack uh, yeah. the, the gun stash at the docks and the camera is behind the sort of uh, attacking forces and you feel like you're part of it. So actually it's probably the precursor to that is probably Apocalypse Now. Yeah, oh, you that's know, the, good. The helicopter assault uh, yeah. sequence where you actually are sort of swept up in it. And even though what's happening in that film is absolutely appalling, you, with the Wagner music and everything, you almost can't help yeah. but get swept up in it. And if you can put it in a situation like, uh, I mean, True Lies does it in a situation where you're sort of uh, morally in sync with the attackers. There's just something about that where you feel like you're there, you're part of it. And it's part of, you know, where you place the camera. It sounds an obvious thing to say, but it, it's it's so important, particularly, I think, with action. And that can be the difference between just watching shit happen dispassionately yes. and feeling swept up in the events of the movie. And you are absolutely swept up in this movie. So... Quickly, before we jump into our top-line facts about Hard Boiled, it's probably... This is not an easy movie to find. You might not have seen it in a while. I hadn't seen it in 22 years, so I'm going to try to get rattle off a quick plot description, which is that there's a police officer named Tequila, played by Chow Yun-Fat, the greatest movie star of all time, except maybe Harrison Ford, but we can talk about that later, <laughs> uh, who, in the beginning of the film's partner is killed during a shootout between rival gangs at a tea party and tequila vows revenge for the death of his partner he begins to pursue a gangster meanwhile his i guess romantic partner teresa who mm -hmm. also is a police officer is receiving messages from a cop deep undercover alan played by tony leong and eventually these two unlikely uh, partners will come together to defeat the gangsters at the center of the story and uncover a weapons catch held in a hospital. That only scratches the surface of what is a movie with four of the greatest action sequences of all so, time. I think it's worth talking about the quote-unquote heroic bloodshed genre, which this film falls into briefly, because I would say, like, in my opinion, to some extent, the plot is almost like the plot's important and there's a lot of back and forth and twists and turns, but it's all, it's it's less important than the style of the film. Right. It's less important than the mood of the film. And it's vibes. This movie know, is vibes. It's total yeah, it's like the plot, you know, you, you you don't even necessarily have to follow the plot. Right. You know, even though the the plot is actually quite interesting and quite compelling, but it's well, more it's almost about, episodic too as a movie, right? Like it has these episodes, there's a yeah. story going through it, but you there are jumps in time a little bit and like there's ebbs and flows it's you know it's it's not straight plot the entire film so the heroic bloodshed genre it was defined by it was coined by the editor rick baker in the magazine eastern heroes in the late 80s specifically referring to the styles of john woo and ringo lam who directed city on fire which we mentioned earlier and he defined it as a hong kong action film that features a lot of gunplay and gangsters rather than kung fu lots of blood lots of action my personal, like, how I, I was thinking about that and I was thinking, how would I define it? How would I define the vibe, to use right. your, your word? It's mythic, romantic, exaggerated, sentimental action sagas with a wild disregard for human life and yet the utmost compassion for the human condition. And it's melodramatic, but, but in operatic. a way, operatic yeah, yeah. is even better. Yeah. Like, it, this movie is not subtle, but 
<laughs> to Fuck John, salty. To John, well, sure. And to John, this isn't credit, an indie movie. This is action, baby. Well, it's also weirdly believable in spite of how insane it is. Then I think that that is really, really amazing. And we should say that, like, you know, there's a whole history to Hong Kong cinema and martial arts, and you know, that's a whole other. There's probably there's experts. There are experts who can talk about that stuff. But I think you can even draw a connection between this and like Breathless, the Jean Luc Godard movie from the '60s about gangsters. Like it feels very modern in that it uses the sort of like, you know, what are traditional things in Hong Kong cinema, but does them in this new, cool, jazzy high action style that is influenced as much by European and American cinema as it is by Hong Kong cinema. Uh, yeah. It's a world it's a world film. Its influences are from all over the world. There's western vibes and I believe um Le Samurai was a big influence on Melville. the killer, oh, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you would know a lot about I love Le Samurai. About, about that great movie. I believe it's on um, HBO Max uh, right now. I just want to touch briefly on my, my cultural intersection with this because like you, I was a huge Tarantino fan and in the UK um, post-Tarantino, this really caught on in a huge way. And, and I actually feel like Tarantino specifically made people more curious about film in general and world cinema. Yeah, totally you know? true. And because he was such a sort of um, cultural magpie that took all of these different things and then reinvented it and made it completely his own his own thing. But there were influences of French New Wave and Hong Kong cinema right. and, you know, different all different types of filmmaking styles and Can I touch on something quickly? Sure. Which is the French New Wave is the the era the early nineteen sixties, more or less, that began in France by a bunch of film filmmakers who started as critics writing for Cahiers du Cinéma, like Jean-Luc Godard, who recently passed away, Francois Truffaut. And Jean-Luc Godard sort of, there's a famous quote from him, which is, all you need to make a movie is a girl and a gun. Mm -hmm. And this film has that. And this film has that in spades. Uh, and, you know, he made this film called Breathless, which if you've never seen it, is hugely influential to every movie that came after it. You know, I didn't think we were end up going to end up discussing Jean-Luc Godard here, but it... it it's totally applicable. It kind of made gangsters cool in movies, right? And, you know, that would influence, obviously, Tarantino. It would obviously influence John Woo. Everyone is influenced by this movie. If you've never seen it, you can draw a line between Breathless and... But the interesting thing about that is that with early John Woo films, um, such as A Better Tomorrow, which I was a huge fan of, and The Killer, because uh, they had glamorized gangsters, and he took a bit of criticism for that, mm. it's, even though it's in that tradition of French New Wave and, and what have you, this was a film where he intentionally wanted to glamorize the police. Um, and his influences were things like Bullet, the Steve McQueen mm. movie, and Dirty Harry, and what have you. So this was actually a response to some of the criticism that he had that he was given for glamorizing. Do you gangsters. think this? Well, this is a big thing. I, I have a lot of thoughts about how what this movie says about the police, not in terms of like pro or negative, but just this like absolutely kaleidoscopic relationship to identity and who's who in this movie. That's really really fascinating. And that's another to me. classic. Woo theme of good and evil being two sides of the same coin yeah. and the blurred lines of morality between crops and criminals and honor and betrayal and loyalty. And I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. Just to finish the point I wanted to just make about how this was perceived in the UK, because I remember going to those stores like HMV and mm -hmm. your equivalent would be Virgin Megastores. Virgin Megastores, like well, right. The post-Tarantino, HMV, Virgin Megastores, et cetera, they were stacked with Hong Kong yeah. action movies. Oh, it was a huge it, thing. It was a big deal. It really, really took off. And I love this movie. It's my favorite of 
all of them, and I was really into it at that time. Um, especially, yeah, City on did Fire. You, the did you own it? Did you? Where did you first see it? Did you like rent it? Did you buy a copy? What was your? It would have been on VHS. I had a friend at school who was who was also quite into world cinema, and and would I think he may have lent it to me actually. Yeah. And then I bought it and uh, never looked back. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Phil, if a Hong Kong cinema enthusiast has searched hard boiled in their podcast app of choice and they've discovered Die Hard on a blank, and maybe welcome. they don't. Hi, hi, take Thanks a for seat. Coming. Uh, please put your double plated guns uh, away. <laughs> um, what does the term Die Hard on a blank mean? So, Die Hard on a blank is cultural shorthand for any action movie that. Uh, utilizes this particular storytelling paradigm of bad guys take over a blank uh, bus, boat, in this case, hospital, uh, and it's up to one man or woman to, you know, uh, to fight back. In this case, there's obviously variations on this. In this yeah. case, it's two, it's two cops, etc. Two but cops. Those are, those, that's broadly the meaning of the term. This show is all about studying the influence of Die Hard across action cinema through all of those films that were direct Die Hard on a blank style, uh, direct imitators, but Die Hard's DNA spread everywhere in a myriad of ways. So, we're, And we're tracking that uh, one movie at a time in chronological order from Die Hard onwards. So this movie was released on April 16th, 1992 in Hong Kong. That was approximately four months after our last film, um, The Last Boy Scout, which came out on December 12th, 1991. Phil, quick. Last yes. Boy Scout are hard-boiled. Why? <laughs> Why would you do that to me? Why? It's hard-boiled. I'm sorry. It's hard-boiled. No, you know what? I would do what um, what he does at the end of the film, but I'm not going to spoil what that is. What, what that what that is? I would do what Tony Lung does at the end yeah. of the film. Wow. To you avoid really making love, that you really choice. Love movies. Um, all right. So hard-boiled would after its Hong Kong release, it would play at the Toronto Film Festival in September 1992. It later received a limited U.S. release, but this was the movie that really drew Hollywood's attention to to John Woo in a huge way. So it was directed by John Woo, it was produced by Linda Cook and Terence Chang. It stars Chow Yun-Fat, Tony Leung and Teresa Mo. The screenplay was by Gordon Chan and Barry Wong, based on a story by John Woo. Um, the budget's a little complicated. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's an estimated budget of 4.5 million in US dollars. How did this dollars? movie only cost 4.5 million? Incredible. It looks like it cost 150 I million know. dollars. And actually it, it grossed 19.7 million in Hong Kong dollars on initial release, but actually was less of a success than his previous movies. Apparently the cultural, the zeitgeist at the time, the taste there was more towards, they, they wanted comedies and romances and this was, they were kind of a bit done with this. So the timing, I guess, kind of worked out because John Woo was then able to make his transition to Hollywood. Well, he's a great example of someone who put his print on, I'd be curious, I'm sure you know, but we don't have to get into now, sort of a history of, of John Woo's Hollywood experience. Because, you know, he made some real, real kick-ass movies. He made some movies that I think are like, we're probably a little little challenged by the way movies are made or the studio system here. You know, like he's an interesting guy in terms of his relationship to Hollywood. Um, have you, real quick, have you seen Manhunt, the movie he made in like 2017? No. Oh, it's on Netflix. Is it good? I think it's, I think it's good. Um, this is a bit of a digression, but there's a moment at the beginning of the film where a man in a suit walks into a tea shop. And he looks around and he goes, really, this happens. This is reminding me something. Oh, wow. He's doing From the... a time long ago. And then he pulls out two guns and starts shooting. Wow. It's like so meta, which John Woo is a little meta at times. Like he's in this movie, for example. Yeah. But it, it's, it's, I loved it. I mean, I loved it because I was like, John Woo is back. 
making movies where like people get shot. There's and a weird thing seems to be going on with that. Like that happens in Ambulance as well, where my, it references the, his own movies. Yeah, it is you know? really weird. You know, one um, movie we didn't mention that John Woo directed is Mission Impossible Two. Yes, which is a pretty fascinating, a fascinating movie, and definitely a product of a of an auteur filmmaker. It's funny. Yeah, I almost don't think of it uh, because it's part of a franchise yeah. and it I think you can see his flourishes but oh, it feels man. less of a typical John Woo film and the story of that film is kind of like there's some there's some real yet, problems with that film and yet it's absolutely John Woo and it may be a, like a little and this is not a criticism I like that movie it may be a little watered down Woo but there's definitely some Woo in in the DNA of that movie I think there's a lot you're right I think there's some things about that movie that don't work but there's also a lot to recommend it and I I think it was just the coolest thing in the world when Tom Cruise was like we're gonna get John Woo to direct the second Mission Impossible movie yeah. like that's rad yeah, you know that's sure. the coolest when thing. I was at university, when that when the Limp Biscuit song came on, that that was everyone's cue to race to the dance floor from Mission Impossible Two. That's, that's, that's dating. That's dating. Yeah, you really. Uh... Um, all, right, all right, so Die Hard DNA. Die Hard DNA. What are we going to do in this segment, Phil? Well, in Die Hard DNA, we talk about all the different elements and influences, be it personnel. Uh, premise or otherwise uh, from Die Hard that have found their way into the film in so question. So kind of how this film what are the yeah, what the are the elements of Die Hard that we can see intentionally or unintentionally in this movie? It's kind of a nice way to track what happens in these movies. Yeah. So um, we, we have a world-weary cop hero fighting hordes of bad guys in a contained environment, um, in this case, a hospital. Like Die Hard, it also has a, a love story at its center between Tequila and Teresa. Stop. Is the love story between Tequila and Teresa, or is the love story between Tequila and Alan? Well, my counter to that would be, is the love story in Die Hard between John McClane and Al Powell, or is it between John McClane and Holly McClane? I think that that's a great thing to bring up, and we can talk about it in the hero section, because this movie is a bromance. And it's, it's a both. beautiful one, right? Oh, yeah. It's just, they love each other. It's 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 a little like this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a little bromance going on. <laughs> Um, so the specifics, the, the bad guys plant C4 explosive devices all around the hospital and threaten to blow it up, which they eventually do. We have bad guys firing rocket propelled grenades from the building's windows down at the cops below, as in Die Hard. I could just watch you at your house at like 11.15 in the night, just cackling with laughter, watch, like giddy like a schoolboy watching this movie. I just, it's a great mental image. Well, you my being story, like, when I watched it last Friday, you know, there's a, just digressing briefly on that. Let's do it. The... the it, this shot begins with a typically fetishistic uh, woo shot of um, a tequila slammer being made. What's a tequila slammer? So a tequila slammer is basically... Phil's on um, his third, by the way. <laughs> um, tequila slammer, you... you it's it, you pour tequila in a glass. You then you add like you can uh, lemonade or, or, or yeah tonic or or um, sprite whatever yeah. seven up whatever something like that. You put a napkin on top of it, slam it down on the table. It fizzes everywhere, and you have to drink it all before it fizzes. In this oh, scene, a tequila it, slammer. <laughs> but hence the main character's name. What's amazing about that, if you look closely, in the opening scene when Chow Yun Fat does that. He does his tequila slammer and then exhales cigarette smoke, meaning he must have had a drag of his cigarette, held his breath, slammed the tequila, which is no mean feat, then exhaled his cigarette and smoke. And then he plays clarinet. Yes. And you're like, 
This movie is the best thing I've ever seen. My point was going to be... Our producer, Mike, by the way, has not seen this movie, and he's sitting here, and I just... I'm mad, trying to picture what's going on in his head, where he's like, what, what is this movie? What the hell is going Mike, on in this movie? Mike, trust us, it all makes sense. But my point was going to be, when I saw that, like, last Friday, what I was actually doing was was having a tequila slammer while, I watched, yeah, while I watched the movie, and it was the best time of my oh, life. That sounds amazing. You're living. <laughs> so, okay, uh, so DNA. finishing off... Um, we have the hero jumping from an exploding building using an improvised bungee rope. Uh, that happens at, uh, towards the end of the movie. And oh, it also yeah. ends with an intimate moment between the hero, the bad guy, and a hostage being held at gunpoint, much like uh, the standoff with McLean, Gruber, and Holly at the end of Die Hard. It also has the word hard in the title, as does Wu's next film, Is hard this Target. the first movie that actually has the title in the movie? When, when uh, what's his name? Uh, the villain, the, the, the gangster. Someone calls him... You're the hard-boiled cop or something, right? Yeah, yeah. The gangster goes, ah, the hard-boiled cop. I think that in one translation, I think the title, possibly in the native language, translates as ruthless super cop. Yeah, you're right. It Is does. that right? Yeah. yeah. That actually was my nickname in high school, ruthless super cop. It's pretty <laughs> badass. Um, there's also, you know, the other thing of the Die Hard thing, when this movie came out in the UK, there was a quote on the video box uh, from Mark Salisbury of Empire Magazine oh. who said this film was, quote, Infinitely more exciting than a dozen diehards. And the film press compared it to Die Hard a lot. The Time Out review compared it to Die Hard. It basically said this is Wu's take on Die Hard. Um, so it's, it's the, the connections there, I would say, are Wow, are they're pretty, really deep, pretty deeper strong. than I th sort of yeah. thought. That's interesting. To compare this to Die Hard is almost to do it a disservice in a weird yeah. way, even though that's what we're doing on this show. But this is something that stands apart, alone, and potentially even above Die Hard in terms of sheer kinetic action filmmaking. Right. I would counter it by saying, look, look, for me, there's there, there are three films I think of over the greatest action films of all time. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's like five. You could say the story of Die Hard is a superior story to Wait, Hard Wait, what are the three best action movies? Well, my personal favorites yeah. of the best action movies of all time would be Die Hard, Hard Boiled, The Rock, mm. and I would put Point Break and True Lies. Ooh, that's a and good list. Partly, and partly what I think is important about these movies is the actual, how the action is filmed. The action sequences themselves, the stunts, the the imagery, new images that we've never seen before. Um, new, I mean, there's many, many more that we, we can talk about and, and, and debate, but I would absolutely put this film in the top five, if not top three, uh, action films of all time. So in, in some ways, it almost does it a disservice to compare it to Die Hard, even though that's what we're doing on, on the show. So it is, there's something really special and we'll, and we'll get into it because the next section of the show is called Anatomy of an Action Movie. So Anatomy of an Action Movie is a, is a, is a creation of your own design, Phil. Yes. There are six tenants. We live in a twilight world. Uh, in which we discuss what makes up a good action movie. Now, we should say that the inspiration for this comes from Die Hard, these six tenants, because Die Hard sort of gets full marks, A+, plus extra credit in terms of how well it achieves the following six things, which are... Premise, slash the plot, the concept and story of the movie. The ticking clock, the plot device that creates narrative tension and urgency. And momentum. Uh, the hero, the villain, the action itself, 
and humor, funny dialogue scenes, moments, or characters that add levity. Baby peeing, whatever it happens to be. So let's start. We talked a little bit about the story. I gave a quick little uh, synopsis at the beginning. But what is the premise of so, Hard Boiled? The most succinct encapsulation I could come up with is a tough Hong Kong cop loses his partner in a shootout with gun smugglers and vows revenge. In order to nail the powerful criminals who are responsible, he teams up with an undercover cop who has been posing as a triad assassin. When they discover the bad guys are hiding their arms cache inside a hospital, the two sides battle to the death inside the besieged building. Now, Oof. this is not a high concept film, though. And it's 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 a fairly simple plot, even though there is a lot of like in, someone informing for this side and people swapping sides and sort of duplicity. But really, the film is almost a nonstop. It's just nonstop action. One set piece and shootout after the next. And when it pauses, it does it in a very like enjoyable, entertaining way that's filled with humor or pathos mm. or like getting to know the characters, spend time with them. It's a beautiful sequence. We'll get into this with the heroes when... Uh, Alan, played by Tony Leung's captain, remembers that it's his birthday and they have mm. an exchange about it. It's just very, yeah, like whenever there is an action, you're still, it's not like it's, oh, let me check my phone. It's not that kind of movie. It's it's the, the characters. And if characters you're checking so your rich. phone during this movie, I will personally come to your house and you hear that, Mike? Fume inwardly outside. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then go home. I will be very British about this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, um, but just, you know, Put some respect on oh, it. Yeah. This, you, and you know, you were saying before this is played at the New Beverly here in LA. Like, yeah. if you can find this movie playing at a theater, have you ever seen it in a the theater? And, I haven't. Me neither. And, and I, oh my gosh, I'm like, so annoyed. I've been I checking didn't the New Beverly every day to find out when it's going to be yeah, on yeah, again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so the ticking clock in this film, there isn't really an, uh, an overriding ticking clock, but there is tension that comes from the possibility that Alan's character, who, uh, who's the undercover cop, that his true identity will be discovered by the syndicate that he's infiltrated. And he, he's sort of between two syndicates. He's working for like an older, let's say more like refined... Humanistic the nice gangster. gangster. What's his name? I think it's Mr. Hoy. Mr. Hoy. Mr. Hoy. Yeah. yeah, and then he starts. He goes to work for uh, another Johnny uh, for Wong. Johnny Wong, yeah. played by Anthony Wong, who's just such a bastard yeah. in this movie. So he sort of like begins the film working for the kind of like humanistic gangster, which I like. I always love when there's like a nice guy gangster and then a, an actual bad bad dude kind of gangster in the movie. There are other ticking clocks um, later in the film as the cops race to evacuate the patients from the hospital, uh, including the maternity ward filled with babies. Um, uh, before the, I mean, and the, because the bad guys, to your point, are so ruthless and reckless that they don't even they don't care about the patients or even the babies. Well, that's interesting because I think. That, that there's really interesting dynamics between the terror, that, uh, let's not say terrorists, the gangsters in this movie, and particularly between Mad Dog, played yeah. by Philip Kwok, and Johnny Wong, which we'll get to that. But I, I, I can't overestimate the stroke of genius of putting the babies in the maternity ward at risk because it instantly changes your investment. But also, to Wu's credit, you never feel like the babies are going to die. Like, it doesn't cross the line. There's a lot in this movie. It doesn't become sick. Yeah. Yes. You, and also, there's a sort of unreality to the whole experience yeah. in, in, in a good way, where you feel this is an exaggerated world. This is like, the, you know, the Hong Kong as the Wild West in another universe. Right, right. You know? I have some thoughts about that, a lot of thoughts about the violence in this movie and whether it actually feels violent to me. We'll get there. But first... Let's talk about our heroes. Please. Oh, my God. All right. Our two heroes in this movie. Inspector Tequila Yuen, played by Chow Yun-Fat. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is this the coolest character ever? No, this is the coolest man that's ever lived. <laughs> and Alan, played by Tony Leong. These are two absolutely iconic actors. Um, Chow Yun-Fat had, had an amazing career in Hong Kong. He, he was in some American movies. Uh, he was in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Mm-hmm. He's in uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden yep. Dragon, Ang Lee's, I think, martial arts masterpiece, along with Michelle Yeoh. And he's in a personal favorite of mine. Called The Corrupter, directed by James Foley. Yeah, I'm a big fan. It's on the list. It's yes! Uh, (laughs) Corrupter, uh, Replacement Killers with Mira Sorvino, he was in. That was his first, I believe, Hollywood movie. And Alan, uh, Tony Leong, is very well known for his appearance in Wong Kar Wai's films. He's a wonderful actor. Hugely respected actor. Yeah, amazing. And also, kind of like a um, Jean Louis Trutignant, who's sort of in Le Samurai, the Melville film that we discussed Mm -hmm. earlier, has that kind of detached cool yeah. as an actor and and kind of had a resurgence in the past few years because he plays the dad in Shang-Chi the Marvel movie and it i it was pretty amazing because that movie Shang-Chi treated Tony Leong with the kind of like this man is an icon yeah. treatment that he deserves like it, it's been very cool to see him have this like big cultural marvel moment because it's like he's an icon and he's so 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 important to the two, genre yeah two titans so let's start with with tequila uh who was an inspector with i'm not the... a real tequila drinker i'm but on my can... fourth let's go <laughs> what are we doing let's talk about tequila <laughs> um he's an inspector with the royal hong kong police um that's his nickname because it's his tipple of choice he also plays the clarinet in a jazz club on his, on his off time as you do and apparently that was inspired by a real cop who was also an enthusiastic drummer when he was off duty. So there, there's, Wu, a, uh, knew. there's a moment in this movie where he goes, I wanted to be a musician, but he ended up a cop. Mm. Like, and he's just, it's just How such cool an interesting, it's, like, it's, it's, it's just it's, such an, it's also sad, you know, it's also this It's funny because I was thinking thing. about, I like, knocked a bottle over in case you guys heard that. That's it's okay. fine. It's fine. I just got excited. Just got excited. I love the clarinet. <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking, would this movie be better if he was playing like, because when he plays the clarinet, it's very lighthearted, actually. Yeah. It's not like, it's not like he's playing out his feelings, right. you know, like, and his angst. And I was wondering, would the film be better if, if it was that, like the playing the, the trumpet in a sad way or something like that or the saxophone but there's like real soul to it and I thought actually it's it's kind of interesting that it doesn't do that it's almost like a respite from the uh, violence he only plays it once in the film yeah he only does it once but that's how we meet the character so let's talk about him in relation to Alan I think it'd be so Chow Yun-Fat I would say or I should say uh, Tequila Yun is much more of the McLean character I would say he's a little cynical a little bit of a wise ass kind of detached you know, has some jo- joke lines in the movie. Like at one point, he refers to a baby as a piss pot. Uh, he doesn't. Which take you've sh- called me twice today. <laughs> he doesn't take. Sh- it's out of love, you piss pot. He doesn't take shit, and I would say he's actually anti-authoritarian 
uh, in the way that McLean is. I think he's the McLean character. 100%. The tough, rule-breaking maverick cop who goes above and beyond to exact right. justice on the bad guys. He's totally a McLean-type character. He's also, one thing I think is crucial, and was sort of the conversation of a glamorization of cops, is that he you don't feel that he necessarily think that he's particularly like, I love being a cop. Most is that he wants to get the bad guys. He's just really good at it. And I think that's the same with McLean, actually. Yeah. I don't think McLean is like in love with being a cop. I think he hates the, the red tape and the bureaucracy and some yeah. of the gung-ho, you know, bullshit. And, you know, he's he's McLean is someone I don't think that works, doesn't play well with others. Right. He's also you know? a reluctant hero. Yes. And I think it's not like these are dudes, you know, when you say when we say things like, oh, they don't like red tape or bureaucracy, it's not because they're loose cannons. It's because they're like, I just want to get, I need it's to get ineffective. this ineffective. Yeah. yeah a lot a of the time, or it tangles them up with, um, with bullshit. You know, it's interesting, yeah, because on the surface, this is a character that's almost like uh, quite archetypal. But yet, there are these interesting contradictions und underneath it. Like he he's hard, but he's soft at times. Right. He sort of has a gentle side. He he's plays cool, clarinet, he's hot headed, jazzy, uh, you yeah. know, uh, at different times. Sometimes he's cool, sometimes he's hot headed, sometimes he's romantic, sometimes he's cynical. And it all gels and it yeah. all feels like uh, Chow Yun Fat makes that all coalesce and makes an archetypal type character something truly unique. It's funny because in a way he could come off. He's not the strong and silent type in this movie. I actually think that's Tony. I'm yes. sorry, uh, Alan. He's more by Tony insular, Lee. yeah, introverted. But yeah. there's mom, there's looks that Chow Yun Fat gives in this movie, like towards the end, especially where you're like, "Fuck, this guy could murk me." <laughs> like he's scary, you know. Like he he's, he's a really, big he guy can, as well. He can do like, a Clint Eastwood yeah. face, like he yeah. can really do it. But more of the time, he's like. He has that I'm a fly in the ointment, a pain in the ass kind of quality that I think makes him so uh, charismatic. Also, he's just an amazing actor. He really, and, yeah, he and, really and, is. And a movie star. I mean, like, the word movie star was written for dudes like him. He's The way he can command the screen, and, you know, in A Better Tomorrow, it speaks to that because he was sort of the third lead in that film, but was so powerful and so charismatic that, spoiler alert, when in Better Tomorrow, his character dies, they realize, oh, fuck, we've made a huge mistake because Chow Yun-Fat is the star. So for Better Tomorrow 2, they decided, oh, well, he'll just have a twin brother and we'll bring back Chow Yun-Fat <laughs> yeah, because right, he's, that, he's that good. And they're like, you, he is so just the way he, he can, in Better Tomorrow, he can smoke a cigarette and have a matchstick in his mouth while wearing a nasty sweater and make it look cool. Yeah, he just looks, makes you know? everything look cool. <laughs> I mean, and I, I think it can't be discounted how like big of a deal he was to people paying attention to movies in this, in this he time. He is truly is one of my all-time favorite yeah. Movie stars. Now, I would say, though, I think Tequila makes a very strong impression in the movie. In some ways, it isn't his movie. I think it's Alan's movie, played by Tony Leung. So Alan is more the strong and silent type. He's, you know, this movie is, uh, it's interesting. A movie I thought a lot about while watching this was The Departed, yes. which it's almost a false equivalency because The Departed, which is Martin Scorsese's movie about uh, an undercover cop and criminal uh, sort of tank, you know, in Boston, that's a movie about identity in a big way, but it's based on a film called Infernal Affairs. But you can feel, at least in Alan's character, this kind of like, who am I? sort of feeling and I think in some ways this movie is about Alan's redemption in that he's been undercover for so long he has to find his way out and feel better about the fact that he's killed people 
for the mob. He's kind of a tragic character. Yeah. And, um, you know, he has this, he has also these great characters. I love that Wu gives these characters space to breathe. We see Alan, like, when he's decompressing, he lives alone on this boat and he makes an origami crane every time he kills someone. Yeah. So the, the weight of it does... Uh, affect him. The guilt. one of the last things you see in the um, movie is him dropping the origami yeah. uh, figures into the water. He also has some incredible acting moments. There's one in particular. And there's a scene where he's forced to kill his old boss, uh, Uncle Hoy, yeah. uh, uh, by his new boss Johnny Wong. And there's this amazing piece of acting where it's slow motion and he smiles for Johnny's benefit as he's doing it. But we, as he turns away, his you can see that drops. he's absolutely devastated by it. You know, and it's really great acting look this is a film that, that as you said it isn't subtle it's quite um it's bombastic it's larger than life these are, they're huge emotions but within that uh, milieu the, the these performances are just so they're strong perfect. They're so, so striking uh, it's there's just not awesome. a false note of, of performance anywhere in the movie and even in the like quote unquote cheesy moments the movie sings because Wu is such a um, and the actors and everyone involved are such masters of of filmmaking. There was one point I wanted to just make. There was a lovely quote I came across that Wu said he believes that rather than being mere tools in a film, actors are the soul of a movie. And this is, I think, this is a soulful film. Yeah, I agree. It's almost, it's like quasi existential. It's somewhat philosophical. I'd love to hear more about what you were saying, like about what you think this is saying about cops as our two leads are cops and he, and and Wu's intention was to show the police in a positive light but you were sort of challenging that I mean that. it's not even that I think he's whether it's glamour or not but there's a line that really stuck out to me that I highlighted which is said by Johnny Wong he says at one point towards the end of the movie a cop is just a human being with a gun mm. and what I think is really interesting about this movie and this sort of gets into our action section but this film begins with the first time you see Alan, he's dressed very stylishly in a suit. He walks into a library and he kills a man who's, I believe, an informant. Yes. He, which yeah. is interesting. He crossed, yeah, he betrayed Mr. Hoy. Mr. Hoy, I think, yeah, who he's working for at the time. And the whole film, Alan is sort of like, oh, am I a cop? Am I a criminal? Who am I? What am I? And what's so amazing about Particularly, I mean, this whole movie, particularly in the last hour, is I think Wu makes the action scene in the hospital a manifestation of all of the thematic shit going on in Alan's head. For one thing, at a certain point, we haven't talked about him yet, but Johnny Wong's men get dressed up as cops. And right. so there are fake cops in the hospital. There are real cops outside. The fake cops in the hospital are shooting at the real cops outside. Simultaneously, Tequila and Alan's boss and uh, several of their men go inside and pretend to be patients. So cops are hostages. Cops are criminals. Criminals are cops. No one knows who's who, mm. and it gets increasingly chaotic until a point in the movie where... Tequila and Alan take down a fake cop and Alan puts on his cop outfit oh, yeah, yeah. and he walks into the room and he says, we caught a cop. And that's Tony Leong saying that to 
Anthony Wong to to Johnny Wong. The movie goes out of its way to constantly confuse who is who and where we are, and that culminates in Alan killing a cop by mistake, which makes him relatable to Tequila because Tequila is like, I did that too. And I, it's not that I think the movie is not glamorizing cops, but it does this amazing thing where it constantly confuses you as an audience member and kind of like, it's not clear at times who's good, who's bad, who are we shooting at? And the tragic thing is it culminates in this murder and it it relates to the larger thing where like in so many movies made by Hollywood or action films, Hostages never die. Yes, I was, yeah. Everybody dies in this movie. And so, well, I don't think this is like a a commentary on violence. I think John Woo, it's kind of a fairy tale at times, but also he really wants to complicate what we see and how we see it and who's good and who's bad. And he makes, he almost manifests Alan's mindset. And by the way, there's also the hero's journey or the heroic bloodshed. And at the end of the film, Alan ends up in a cop uniform again, as like the final act of the the final time and we rediscovers sort of his uh, true identity, rediscovers his, his true identity. And- but I would argue that there's this weird. Maybe I'm overthinking it, but there's this weird complexity because we don't know who's who. Yeah, it's really, really it's complicated. complicated in a good way. Yeah, you know, it's messy. It, 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 yeah, and and there's a scene uh, at the beginning where Tequila's friend uh, Benny, who's his partner, who who also plays the drums in the band in the jazz club. Right. They go to uh, the tea house raid, and Benny uh, ends, who's injured at the time, ends up uh, turning a corner and shooting at one of the bad guys who he doesn't realize is holding a hostage as a human shield and that and that and the hostage gets shot then right so there is it isn't a sort of sanitized everything sort of tied up in a neat little bow right it's it is it's fucking chaos yeah but it's like control chaos and it's you know and it's chaos by a master filmmaker right and it, and it's chaos in a way that like makes it just not like it's palatable because it's exciting like john woo is not again he's not like violence is bad at all but he is sort of like I think there's a realistic reflection of like what guns do to people in this movie even though I would say in some ways this is the least violent movie we've ever watched because like there's no actual mechanics of of guns in this movie. People are shooting at each other from a foot away. They're killing each. They're like almost like using guns like swords, right? Like they never run out of bullets. No one ever runs out of bullets. It's just it's a really fascinating sort of reflection of the psych I think of the psychology of a character in the action of the movie. And again, you said earlier, like the greatest action movies, the action is meticulously photographed and created. I would say that John Woo, unlike almost any filmmaker, is able to reflect psychology through action filmmaking. He kind of does it in Face Off too when when uh, Caster Troy played by Nick, or at that point played by <laughs> Stephen Coburn. To Cullen, your point, John to Travolta, your exact right, point, right? And Nicolas Cage it's playing Sean Archer. a film about Archer, confused identity. Right, they, they go to shoot each other and they're, they're between a mirror and like they're looking at themselves but they're looking at their enemy but they like, it's not that these are grand statements about identity at all but John Woo makes these things visceral and, and physical and He's real clearly, as opposed to intellectual. It's a thematic obsession for him, for sure. I think this idea of identity and the nature of good and evil and how perhaps right. they both can exist in the same person and who, you know, who are we? And, you know, and, and so that's why I think this is such a fascinating companion piece to face off because I feel like they're his two masterpieces made at two different eras of his career. And to put it in another way, you know, like we referenced The Departed earlier. I think at times with The Departed, and I think The Departed Hearted is a great movie. I'm thinking about the themes of identity while I watch that movie. Watching Hard Boiled, I'm like, this shit is so entertaining. But it, it sort of works on you subconsciously unless you sit there and you go like, 
wow, he's really manifesting Alan's conflict yeah. in, the, in the final sequence of this movie. I just think it's genius. Genius. Should we talk about the villains before no, we I move on to that No, I want to keep talking action? about this. Yeah, let's talk about the villains. Who so, are our villains? So we've got Johnny Wong, played by Anthony Wong, who is the sort of upstart gangster. Um, Ruthless guy. Real, Yeah, no morality, just greed and ambition. Um, he's the charismatic leader of this syndicate that's trying to take over the arms trade and take out, out the, old, uh, the old bosses. I think he's a strong villain. Yeah. Um, Weasley, um, he's a little bit Gruber-esque in some respects in that he's sort of quite, he's quite well-dressed and he's somewhat removed. Yeah, very, yeah, greedy, grasping kind of character with that, who's totally uh, immoral or amoral. I think one of the cool little quirks about him, if you notice, I don't know if you picked up on this, but uh, he, in every scene, he has a different color suit. Oh, that's great. That's great, great little touch. I don't think I noticed it, but uh, again, that's like a nice little detail. But, you know, he's a, I think he's a really good villain, but he's not a great villain. Yeah. He, he's not a Gruber. He's not Ed Harris in The Rock. Well, he's not funny. Like, he's, he's not, he's, he lacks that kind of, like, that detachment that makes Gruber so interesting. I read about them in Time magazine. Like, he doesn't have any of that, you know? Like, I would say that what makes Gruber compelling, I don't think Gruber is like necessarily a particularly violent person. I don't think he's in it to hurt anyone. He's certainly not going to blow a bunch of hostages away unless he's against the wall. There's a scene in this movie where, where, which is one of, I think, the cooler scenes in terms of the villains, where Johnny Wong just kills a bunch of like, essentially uh, people who can't walk, who can't escape the hospital. And it's like, there's moments like that where he has to be that overboard. Beyond like, the pale He has to be evil. beyond the pale yeah. evil. But it doesn't make for like the most compelling multidimensional villain. Well, I want to challenge you a little bit <laughs> okay. on that because I would say there's a little distinction I would make from what, from what you've said. Yeah. Because I, te- I absolutely take your point. I can't see Hans Gruber grabbing a machine gun and shooting sure. all of the the executives yeah. in the um that are waiting in the you know right. uh in Nakatomi Plaza but he, he his end game was always to to blow them up on the roof That's the true. difference is listen blow the, up shoot the, i don't know. but there i i would say there is a difference because gruber would say well i'm not looking at that and i'm not i'm kind of not it's the difference between setting off a bomb and killing all the hostages as opposed to personally grabbing a gun and shooting them while looking in the face and shooting multiple people which is what johnny wong does here and what's interesting about that which brings us to our next villain mad dog who is johnny's main enforcer um, so that good. moment is a turning point for his his call. Uh, his, his Carl, his that's very good, yeah. Right? And that's why this movie, I think he's one of the best parts of this movie is this Mad character, Dog. Mad Dog, played by Philip Kwok, um, who unusually for a henchman character has a character arc. Yes. Because in the moment that we're discussing where Johnny Wong just shoots all of these poor patients who can't even walk. Mad Dog turns um, on him. Mad Dog turns on him. And, and as, even before that, he's actually tried to say, look, Taking on, taking on cops and other gangs, that's one thing. I'm down. But these people have got nothing to do with this. They're innocent people in the hospital. I'm not going to just kill them. And that ends up being like, I mean, again, like they had honor and, you know, Decency. loyalty and morality. Well, and what is too you know? far? When, when do you go too far? And like, that's something that's thematic. Like, Wu's interested in, in degradations of evil, right? Like, Alan murders people for the mob, but he's undercover, so he has to do it. 
uh, to survive, right? Or whatever. Like it, it's con- it, he 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 does a good job of making this stuff feel complex, right? And I think it's I think you said something great there, real quick, to come back to our main theme, which is Johnny Wong is to Gruber as Mad Dog is to Carl, mm-hmm. and this movie does a good job of making the Carl, the Mad Dog, sort of the main physical adversary of Tequila and Alan. And he's more he interesting, I think, yeah. actually, than Johnny Wong. Although I, I, I think Johnny Wong is a really good character and a really good performance. But this the Mad Dog is like, what an awesome character. You just never see a henchman have moments like that where they're like, hold on, boss, this is too far. Usually the henchmen go even further than right. the, the villain. He's like, the... look at Gary Busey in Lethal Weapon. You right. know? Like, they leave him like, oh, the bad guy's dead in, by the end of the second act. So he's like, right, fuck it, I'll take it to the next level and go <sighs> to the Mr. Go, go to Danny Glover's house. It's start God shit. Christmas. Yeah. You know, so this is a fantastic evolution of the henchman archetype. Philip Kwok is is a really important figure as well in mm-hmm. in um, in Hong Kong uh, cinema. Um, and, and big kudos to him for doing a ton of really strong acting facially with one of his eyes covered for a huge runtime in the movie. Great, yeah. great character. He is really good. So oh, should no. we talk about oh, no. this section? <laughs> Or roll up your sleeves. All right, this is a ten-hour pod. Should we pause and just go watch the movie and then come back, or should we watch it the movie? It's playing on a constant loop in my head yeah, anyway, exactly. so we're all good. Yeah, Phil has a T-shirt that just shows the movie. It's plugged into a battery pack <laughs> he carries around. The fifth tenant of the anatomy of an action movie: the action. So let's list the key action sequences in this movie. The opening tea house shootout, which includes the sliding down the banister moment. The raid on the warehouse at the docks with the motorcycle. Tequila uh, ab- abseiling? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. In while firing. Oh, when, he's, when he comes when in. When he swings, swings in. comes in swinging firing um, from a, above in the, in the warehouse. Right, yeah, he's firing he, a... Firing an MP5. But the, ex- the extended hospital battle, and included in that is the one-take action sequence, which is two minutes and 42 seconds. Look, Phil... I think we can dive into a whole bunch of these things, but I just have a... I think we should start with this question. Is John Woo the greatest action director of all time? I would say he is the greatest director of action sequences of all time. Now, I'd say, like, my list that I had of, like, for the Hall of Fame, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, but I would, on that list, I would have James Cameron, Michael Bay, Catherine Bigelow, Tony Scott, John McTiernan, Christopher Nolan, Ridley Scott. George Miller. Christopher Nolan, interesting. Not Kira I don't Kurosawa. Think yeah, okay. Um, it's Kira Kurosawa. I mean, Kira maybe Kurosawa. Maybe Gareth Evans might be trying yeah, Gareth, to get in Gareth there. Yeah, Gareth Evans right? is good. But for me, and and they've they've you could argue they've made superior um, movies in the action space. But no, I don't think any of those filmmakers, and they'll probably say to this themselves. And I think they're all geniuses who I worship. Yeah. But have any of them directed a sequence like the assault on the warehouse by the motorcycles in this movie? Very Kill Bill. Very Kill Bill. They're raiding the gun arsenal in the docks. Right. And the camera is sort of pulling back as the motorcycle. They're in in a sort of triangular formation. Yeah. And as they go, and there's sparks going and girders and just, it's like a feast for the eyes. It's Mm -hmm. It's so dazzling what's happening. And the dynamic camera work and the music, which we haven't even talked about. Yeah, music rocks. The music in this movie. I think the biggest takeaway from me for this, in general, is all this action, is that John Woo, there's 
I watch these films with in awe and how they're covered and edited and like it it feels like it took 6 years to shoot this movie because it's 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 all analog as you've said before it's not a green screen movie like a lot of movies are made that that now right like everything is real things that are on fire are on fire there's practically no digital effects it's all you know actors falling and diving and uh, somehow surviving doing actual things with their bodies you know like squibs going off a squib is the unit that you wear in your body that, that a stunt actor or actor would wear in their body to make it look like they're being shot it's unbelievable masterpiece and it culminates you know w- with this one take action sequence that it, this is one of the things that this movie is largely known for which is this two minute 42 second single take action sequence where our two heroes move from an elevator through the corridor once they're in the hospital and there's no cuts and there's no even hidden it looks cuts. like a video game like we talked about before and there's explosions and stunts and people crashing through windows it must have it's like you could take a year to set up that, that yeah. shot. Yeah, it would probably take you know? a week and, two weeks but, to shoot but, that. I mean it's it's this movie, I just don't even know where to like where, well, how to articulate. I think the other thing to say about that that's amazing is that it's Chow Yun Fat and Tony Leong actually doing that mm-hmm. sequence, which I yeah. think is just unbelievable. And you know, you just keep, it's hard to make a movie like this anywhere in the world. It's just so amazingly. You know realized. what I think of when I think see this movie as well, right? Is like it's like a dream that was beamed from another planet <laughs> that was bottled. Right. For and Phil we get to have it. amusement. Yeah. We get to have it. Right. And we get to watch it whenever we want. And it was it's like a gift from God, this movie. You know? It's so it, it truly feels like uh, uh, you know, it feels like it came from another universe. Right. You know, it's just so, it's so exotic. Yeah. And so, and, and because the styles and the imagery is so different from uh, Western cinema, uh, even though there are some of those influences in there that like we talked about, but it feels just so like, this is a world I I just want to live in and I find so seductive and um, just you know, it's it's a phantasmagoria. It's just mm-hmm. so the neon and the, this, the yeah, the motorcycles and Hong Kong at night and and the story is so strong and the characters are so strong. It's just like to me, this is everything cinema. It's cinema at its zenith. It's incredible. I think we would be remiss if in the sequence on action we didn't talk about the moment in the film when Chow Yun-Fat slides down the banister with two guns in hand. It's a little embarrassing we've gotten this far into a podcast about John Woo without mentioning a guy with two guns doing anything because that is a iconic image of John Woo's filmmaking, which is he loves guys with two guns. He loves to, you know, they're shooting. Amazingly, they're able to hit things while shooting two, hit different targets while shooting with two guns at the same time. Look, I think a thing that's interesting to reflect on this is that often in action movies, uh, particularly you know, made maybe in Hollywood, the guns are like people far away from each other shooting, right? But this, they're up close, they're personal. The guns are almost like swords. They're used like weapons. It's a completely different kind. Of, that's why they call it gun foo. There's a completely or fists different, almost fists. Like, like you know, yeah. yeah, it's almost like an extension. It's of the up body. close. It's personal. Yeah. You know, people get shot at point blank range, like on the reg. Whereas I feel like in a lot of movies made in the U.S., it's like. That that sh- moment where you shoot someone in the like right up close is like the climax. It's a really personal moment, like the movie The Rookie. I don't know if you think of it that. Oh, that, yeah, that culminates yeah. in someone getting shot like clean in the forehead, and it feels like the climax. Whereas like 
on the reg, people get shot in the face in this movie like every 13 seconds. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I agree with your list of action uh, directors. I think that's a, it's an incredible list. I think in terms of the ability to do something practically that looks unbelievable, John Woo is uh, untouched. No one, no one quite gets there. You know, James Cameron is an example of a guy who, who's really embraced digital effects and has, you know, tirelessly worked to integrate them seamlessly with practical material. Whereas I feel like John Woo, particularly in this era, was like, nope, we're doing all of it for real. And I think that that is amazing. And not something you see that much. And by anymore. the way, at the, at the level that this is made at, there's still a lot of good action movies being made that are practical, but this might be the greatest achievement of that. Yes, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm. No. Uh, no notes. No. <laughs> well said. The humor. So this is a funny movie. There is it's a lot of funny in like a charming, charming, like, unorthodox. Uh, well, there's way. a couple of bits that I I noticed. Um, the bit where um, Tequila is in the police station. And he prays to General Kwan, which right. is the uh, a Taoist uh, god of war, I believe. Right, um, right, right, right. I looked into what that was. I hope I'm getting that correct. To help his relationship, right, right, with right. With, uh, Therese, with Teresa Mo, and he also said, "Oh, and I'd, I'd really like a flat too, because he's he's got a problem like with where he lives, and he can't afford the rent, or he can't. He's got yeah. this kind of domestic problem." I think that those moments are, and it's it's not, and that's the other thing I wanted to make about this. It, I don't just love this movie because the action is the best action that's ever been filmed in the history of cinema. Right. Right. It, it's it's also those moments. The character moments. The moment. music, the the soul, the heart, the the unabashed sentimentality yeah. of this movie works for me. You yeah. know, and those but those little moments where it's also slightly self-effacing where he's praying for something really profound like I really need to fix my relationship with the woman I love but also throw in a flat. Can I get could. a flat as well? You know, you know it's funny you bring that up because it it, it, it it's not a comparison that I thought about until this moment but there's a little bit in Chow Yun-Fat's humor and facial expressions that remind me like performance wise of Toshiro Mifune the star mm -hmm. of many Akira Kurosawa films in that they have this kind of similar deep hearted cynicism but also the ability to undercut you know I'm thinking particularly of Mifune in Seven Samurai where he plays Kikichiro and he's kind of He's kind of the like the guy in the group who's sort of the emperor has no clothes guy where he looks at the situation and goes like, well, this is absurd. Like there's a, he's a truth teller. There's like a kind of quality to Chow Yun-Fat's performance in this film in particular where he's kind of like the wise ass who says it as he sees it. Mm -hmm. And also, but also there's a scene in the movie where he's trying to protect a baby oh, gosh. and he's, he's singing to the baby while he's shooting bad guys at the same time. He's like singing a lullaby and he puts cotton balls in the baby's ears. So he's like, it's it's a great juxtaposition of like this loving maternal moment with like I gotta blow these dudes away like he's it's that heroic bloodshed thing it's really really it's a combination amazing. of yeah of innocence uh, you know and purity in this world of you know violence and you gangsters know, and gangsters and, and criminality and cops shooting people and and yet yeah, but these babies and I mean that's the music in the, in those sequences some people might I don't know that I I John Woo I think is an, is a very sentimental director in the best possible way. That scene is an interesting progenitor to the scene in Face Off where uh, he's lit the kid 
is listening. Gina Gershon's kid is listening on the headphones to um, Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Sung by John Travolta's co star in Greece, Olivia Newton John. Rest While peace. a huge um, shootout that scene is going is amazing. on around them. And it's the same idea of like innocence in the midst of this madness. Not subtle, um, but powerful. Yeah. And great. And I love that. Yeah, he's going for it. Speaking of not subtle. There's a scene in this movie where Chow Yun-Fat is on fire trying to jump out a window and at that moment a baby pees and puts out the fire. And to this movie's credit, it's so earned it doesn't it's ridiculous but you're like, "Yep, this is something that happens in this world." And I think that that is It's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's so it's so charming and funny and just brilliant and just the the sort of gleeful absurdism of this of this movie. It, it almost puts, uh, you know, puts a cherry on the Sunday of, of the whole thing of just like this movie is so crazy, but it wears its heart on its sleeve. Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, I, I, gosh, the stuff with the babies is so moving to me. Yeah, and it's you know? it's, it's also just uh, it's also just funny in this very particular kind it's of cute like... and sw- and yeah, the, the juxtaposition I suppose of the extreme violence with the total opposite of like you innocent know, little babies, innocent pure cute yeah. lives. You know, is just it. I mean, it's just an incredible cocktail. Yeah. You know? Speaking of cocktails. Should we get a cocktail and head over to our diehard Oscars? Yeah, let's get the oh, perm. Me. Let's the get the perm sorted out. Movie. I'm very proud of that transition, guys. <laughs> I'm very proud of it. Let me uh, let me introduce the. And let me just have a quick sip of my tequila slammer. Mm. Mm, little clarinet. The the diehard Oscars or the Action Movie Awards is when we pick some of our favorite aspects of the movie, named after some iconic characters from the film Die Hard. So the first award. <clears throat> I'll give the name of the award, and Phil will list the nominees. The John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for Best Line. Yeah, Phil, the nominees are, and we've tweaked this because we we this used to be the John McClane Yippie Kaye Award for Best Quip. Quip. But as we're discovering, interestingly, uh, not not all of these action films have those kind of uh, not all lines are kiss off lines. Yeah, you that's know, true. Some, sometimes they're a little bit more philosophical or, or or soulful or just something other than like something you would I'm say very, after you throw an axe into somebody's chest. I'm very <laughs> I'm very excited to hear. What movie has an axe thrown in someone's chest? Um, I want to say Under Siege 2, but it could be oh, wrong. Oh, it's going to be I Eric Pogosian forever. <laughs> uh, what are, are, well, I'm really excited to hear your nominees for Best Line for this film. All right, I've got three. Now, we should say this is a film not in English, so we are working yes. with translated versions. So if we're incorrect here... We're sorry. Apologies. We're, we're doing and actually, the two different versions I saw, actually, the English translations were, were actually quite substantially different. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. The three I've got are, are translated thus in the version that I saw. Um, give a guy a gun and he's Superman. Give him two and he's God. And Oof. that is said critically. That is a criticism made by Superintendent Pang, the boss, the police Oh, I the love that guy. That actor's wonderful. To Tequila. And he's criticizing Tequila for going too far and killing a guy that he's been after, after he killed his partner. I think that's that. these are these sort of speaking to some of the themes of the movie. The other one that I thought was really good was um, most things go in and out of style with the exception of war, of course. Ooh, that is said good. said the arms dealer, Johnny Wang, the main, Johnny Wong, excuse me, the main villain. That's good. And then when Tequila and Alan meet on the boat and uh, Tequila has him at gunpoint, he says to him, could we ever be friends? And Alan responds, you've got the gun. You can tell me to go milk a cow and I'll do it. <laughs> I have. <laughs> that was pretty great. Those are great. I have one, one at two, what, two, two, three entries. Okay. And they're, they're one, well, two of them are funny. And then one is a little more serious. Uh, best line. 
I've got more hostages than you've had hot dinners, which uh, is in the version, is in, at least in the subtitles that I saw. Anthony, um, Johnny Wong says that. At oh, one wow. Point. I don't know if I got that in my yeah. version. Um, when Tequila says to the baby, you save the day, you little piss pot, when he, when he pisses and puts out the fire, I thought it was a great line. And then another one that I just thematic is thematically interesting. After Alan mistakenly kills a cop, Chow Yun-Fat says, you're your own worst enemy. Mm. And I think that that's a nice sort of reflection on the themes of the movie, similar to a, a cop is just a human being with a gun, where it's kind of like, there are cops, there are criminals, uh, and sort of, you know, who's who, but also the tortured state of Alan's mind, I think is an interesting, that's an interesting thing that Chow Yun-Fat says, which is actually kind of about Chow Yun-Fat and his sort of, or I should say tequila, and his guilt around the murder of, the death of his partner. You know and what you're saying about Johnny Wong's line, I do think is very interesting, it actually dimensionalizes his character, um, the line you're saying about a, a, human, cop, a cop is just, is just a human, just a human being, being with a gun, with a gun because what he's, he seems to be saying there, if you unpack that, is if you move the societal constructs yes. uh, that say this is a criminal and this is a cop and this person has power, you could just say, well, the badge is just a piece of metal. It's meaning. It's and that's what that complicates and, the idea of glamorizing the police to me because he's it's 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 like a it's in some ways he's saying there's an arbitrary distinction between these two. Yeah, things. it's basically just war. Yeah. Like, it, it, you know, he's someone says it's all about strength and, and power and will. And what's the war line? Will. What's the war line that you just, the, the best line? Most things go in and out of style with the exception of war, of course. So actually, that's kind of like bringing me around a bit more on Johnny Wong. And when you were, that's one of the things, I think this film is deceptively deep. I in totally way. agree. You know, we think, because it's so superficially thrilling and exhilarating and visually stunning that, that but I know there's something underneath it that's like, the, the foundations of this movie are robust. Well, John Woo just knows how to entertain the shit out of you and sort of sneak some really smart things into what he does. I think Face Off does the same thing. I I also think he's interested in again degradations of bad mm. if so to speak uh i'm gonna go with a cop is just a human being with a gun because i think it's a pretty interesting line what's your choice um well now that you've said that and now that we've said i think that because that gives uh extra texture to that character i would agree Ooh, yeah, so, look at me thank yeah. you but I, I i really like i've got more hostages than you've had hot dinners you know that one i think that there's a weird i think it was translated by someone british because there's a lot of british slang in that one uh. there was one and when I, I was watching it this morning in the british one and it was like You've got sweet F.A. to do with such and That was in my version. Did you what know what FA? that means? No. It means fuck all. Uh, That's a total Britishism. I've never heard F.A. before. Yeah, sweet fuck all, meaning like nothing. Ah. So, um, should I weird. You know, should I introduce our next category? Yes. The hands, the hands, the hands, Hans Gruber, the Hans Gruber Award, uh, excuse me, the Hans Gruber Exceptional Thief Award for stealing the film. The nominees are Philip Chan as Superintendent Wang, Tequila's mm. boss. Um, fun fact, that actor was actually an ex-cop. I love that. He's like the Dennis Farina kind of, of Hong yeah, Kong. Yeah, totally. And you, right, 100%. Um, Teresa Mo as uh, Teresa Chang, Tequila's mm -hmm. girlfriend, uh, and also fellow police officer. Um, John Wu as the bartender. Mr. Um, Wu. Tequila's friend and mentor the at the The philosophical former cop yeah. bartender. Uh, Philip Kwok as Mad Dog, Johnny Wong's top enforcer. Honorable mention... The little baby in the hospital oh that Tequila God. protects. I'm, uh, <laughs> Did I, I, you see how cute he was? He's very cute. I have a three-month-old, so I've, I'm babied you're, you're, up. Yeah, 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 I get that. Uh, I get that. My choice is Teresa Mo. Huh. Absolutely. And actually, I forgot to bring this up in our Anatomy of an Action film, but I think... John Woo does an, and the team, everybody involved, does an amazing job of sort of playing with the idea that, like, all she wants is a baby. She just wants, you know, like, it, it kind of, like, 
you know, for a moment, you're like, oh, this could just be another uh, sexist portrayal of a woman in a movie. But she's a badass. She's she's smart. And the movie gives her from the beginning, but really allows her to evolve into this, like, as important to the operation character as anyone else. And I, I, I just I love her. I think she's great. I think their relationship is never reductive. And I like that they set up the idea that uh, Tequila has met his match in this woman who, again, on a superficial level is kind of like, she's a lady in a suit. She's like almost set up as like an administrative assistant, but then she kills a guy for slapping her in the face and like saves a bunch of babies. Like she's instrumental. I also, as a side note, love that this movie has a whole thing about saving people being as important as killing bad guys. I think that that adds, adds dimensionality to the movie in a yep. big way. Because yep. like heroic bloodshed, right? What's yep. your what's your I, I won't disagree actually again you know I I really love her in it and the more I watch it the more I love her there's a it's a real subtle uh, quite a delicate performance in which I think you need a different energy in the midst of all this machismo and yes. you know ultraviolence yeah. to have her um, her grace in mm -hmm. the middle of this and her her sort of sweetness but at the same time as you're saying when push comes to shove and she is uh, slapped uh, by one of the bad guys she shoots him point blank it's just very <laughs> far know? from the damsel in distress that yeah. you often see and uh, you know similar to Holly McLean you know there's a function there's like a real uh, cunning to the character should we talk about our next award? Yeah, the Dick Thornburg Award for Dick of the Movie. The nominees are. I only have one nominee. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> it's it's Johnny Wong. I, I, you know, there's there's really mm. not. He's just such a he piece sucks. of shit. He sucks. You know, um, uh, maybe it's that baby. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, let's let's go with that's Johnny your own Wong. deal. Yeah. <laughs> like that's I know you haven't slept in a while. Baby, but... <laughs> uh, no, don't take it out. What if I? What if my choice was actually the baby? <laughs> baby's a fucking asshole. That baby's he's crying. He pees on that guy's nice suit. No, there's uh, not I think a lot of Johnny Wong. Yeah, it's just I don't even want to talk it's about dry. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about Best Death presented by Markle. No more Where table. do we start? Um, the... I have got five. Oh, my God. All right, give them to me. All right. The scene in the opening in the tea house shootout where a flower-covered tequila uh, executes the uh, the gangster at point oh, blank range and the blood splatters over him. That was pretty powerful. Um, Alan killing the guy in the library with the gun hidden in the book. Ooh, that's good. A pretty cool scene. Um Tequila jumping over the sliding motorbike and then shotgunning another mot motorcyclist while in midair <laughs> in slow motion. I'm like, yes, hook it to my oh soul my and God, inject movie, it into me I forever. I forgot about that. So amazing. Um, there's some great motorcycle stuff in Hard Target as well. I can't mm. wait to get to that. You know, I've never um, seen Hard Target. Oh, boy. You're yeah. in for a treat. It's awesome. I'm mixed on Jean-Claude Van Damme, if I'm totally honest. It's his honest. best movie. Oh, that's good It's his best know. movie. He's great in it. It totally works. Um... Teresa shooting the guy who slaps her in the maternity ward and uh, Johnny Wong taking a bullet in the eye at the end in the in the final standoff. I am going to go with something different. Okay. I'm going to go with Tony shooting himself and Johnny Wong to put him on the ground. It's not his death, but it leads to his death because, again, I think thematically it's mm. compelling. He's mm. like, I'm going to kill myself to kill the bad guy because I am the bad... Like, he has to shoot himself to manifest... To to, he has to create his own origami figure in order to wow, escape yeah. his own... His own, uh, what he's created, his shadow, the shadow that he's created in the world. As I a guess. mini metaphor, now, I, that's genius. I had actually picked up on that. That's a, mm -hmm. a, that's a really cool reading. Yeah. Of and away he dies. You think he's dead until the final shot. Like, you're like, oh, that guy's dead. He sacrificed himself. And I mean, you know, wisely, I think they keep him alive. But you can argue he's a different person. He sheds himself of the murder. 
which I think is ph- philosophically interesting. He says, I'm, I'm not a killer anymore, whether he is or it's not. It's almost like he had to do that to um, redeem himself yeah. or to be well, re- reborn. Yeah. yeah, it is a redemption story. I get, like, you're really convincing me on all of these this, this well, week. So. I really found a lot in this movie that I thought was really rich. Uh, me, be, me beyond too. just kicking yeah. ass. I mean, no. this movie kicks ass, but it's it's philosophically dense. I find it haunting. The music in the scenes where, um, t- you know, uh, Alan is reflecting on on his guilt, and uh, I find that music so haunting. And the funeral for Benny at the that's beginning. a really Michael Kamen esque score. That sort of jazzy, bluesy kind of feeling. It made me think of Michael Kamen huh, a yeah. little bit. The music, by the way, uh, is by Michael Gibbs, and honestly, like. Uh, again, a bit of uh, too much TMI. I'll I'll fucking drive around LA listening to that Heck shit. Yeah, baby. I did it last night. I, I'm driving by like refineries at night and just listening to it and wishing I was in the world of Hard Boiled Man. I love this movie and the music is a huge part of it. Let's uh let's quiz it out. This is gonna okay. be hard. I have a feeling it's gonna be hard. Let's go. All right. Double de- excuse me. Woo-hoo-hoo. Double hey, jeopardy. Phil just turned 13, guys. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I've had too much Actually, fizzy here's pop. What's happened. I've had too many cakes Phil, and Phil, sugar. I'm Phil, too excited. Phil has done gone so far in revisiting this classic from his childhood that he's in fact his voice is dropping again. Look, my my inner 13-year-old child like runs the show anyway. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's you know you've seen Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, right? Oh my god! You know, cra- like Krang. I love like that's Teenage that's Mutant my Ninja inner Turtles. child pulling which, the levers wait, which, for quick, me. Which Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle do you, are you? You're, you're oh, mm. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about this. <laughs> that's, that's another pause. You have you sometimes you're a Raphael, but sometimes you're a Michelangelo. Yeah, on, when it when, on today I'm Michelangelo. Yeah, you would be. All right, so double jeopardy quiz slash trivia. Um, well, the scores can really change. Ooh. All right, and remember, this is for our listeners at home. All right, you, you, so don't feel that's, too By the bad. way, that's Phil's don't way of telling me to bad. take a pause before I answer the question if I know the <laughs> answer, because I'm everybody. And also, not to beat yourself up if you don't. Okay, thanks. Do. I don't thanks, want you to Dad. Be All right. Um, question number one. In our Die Hard 2 episode, we discussed the fact that that film had the highest body count of any major movie at that time, largely due to the plane crash. However, (laughs) Hard Boiled has an even higher body count even without a plane crash. Can you guess the body count? This is a little funny because I was literally editing this episode this week, that that, that episode this week. Um, Within within a range of 10, either way. It's in within a range. I'll give you within a range of 10. uh, 300. It's 307, so yay! It had to be at least 300. Well done. I just want to point out that there's no mass death in this movie. Like, there's no plane crash. A bus doesn't yeah, exactly. explode. This is all there are two individual. plane crashes in Die Hard 2. <laughs> this and is this all... has more, more, a higher body count. <laughs> with, no, with nothing like that. Oh, just my by goodness. individuals being shot. If that's not a, an advertisement for action fans to watch this movie, Incredible. I don't know what is. All right, question number two. Which Malaysian actress and action goddess, currently having one of the biggest moments of her career, was originally supposed <gasps> to play the role of Teresa? Get out, really? Michelle Yao. Yes. I love Michelle yeah, Yao. She's yeah. amazing. She deserves all of the all of the good positive vibes coming her way. What an amazing actress. Just... Absolutely. Question number three. Yes. Chow Yun-fat was reportedly offered a key role in The Matrix, but decided to turn it down. Can you guess which part he was originally offered? Morpheus. Yes. Yeah, I mean, of course. Makes sense, right? Oh and my and God. it goes to show um, 
how much the Mushowskis must have loved, yeah. or you know, these movies and how influential they were on on you know on their body of work, particularly I the Matrix. Love the Matrix movies. All four. I think they're great. Um, Morpheus. You did. You got. You got. Hundred percent this I did, week. I did. Three well, out of three. Yeah. Thank you. Thank Congrats. you. Thank you. Thank you. I remember reading about the Morpheus thing and thinking that would be real. No disrespect to Lawrence Fishburne, oh, yeah, it, who's it, incredible yeah, in that movie. Yeah. Absolutely awesome, and it all you know worked out. But you can, in an alternative universe, you can see how that would have also worked. Matrix, uh, hugely influenced by Hong Kong cinema. Absolutely. Ugh, yeah. Great. Great Absolutely. movie. This is a hugely influential movie. Ugh, I love it. I love it. All right. Final thoughts. Um, I think we've covered. <laughs> no, we're just getting started. <laughs> this is a, this is a, 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 a just a all out, uh, a, a, not only action masterpiece, I, I you know, I don't want to uh, just say that a movie, this movie is a great action movie. It's just a great movie. It's uh, cinematic. It's fluid. It's beautiful. It's big hearted. John Woo, just an informative figure in, I think, the lives of people that love movies like this and hopefully all movies and you know give the man a lifetime achievement award that's all i, I just find this film it's so inspiring you yeah. know it's it just it like re it almost re um you know it, it it sparked again my true love of cinema and like why why i've dedicated my life to this medium because this is this is this is the pinnacle of what can be achieved that combination of visuals and characters that you love Going on an adventure and the and the soulful underpinnings and and the mood and the music—it's just everything that I love about this art form. It's just so energizing. Well, I... the last thing I wanted to say was get this film out on Blu-ray, and whoever yeah. is controlling the rights to this, you are you are like doing a huge disservice to people because this film is so hard. It's hard to, to get find. Hold you of. can find there it. There is a way you can find it. It's lack of uh, availability on a physical or on a streamer is crazy. It's a, it's a crazy. crime. It's, it's a crime. crime. It's a crime. You bastards. Um, listen, I think that, that about does it. Um, listen, if you have a friend that loves John Woo, or if you have a friend who hasn't seen Hard Boiled, Mike Mayer, our producer, recommend this to them. Tell them to see it. Also, tell them to listen to the show. We've got a whole nice back catalog we're building on Die Hard, um, The Hunt for Red October, License to Kill, Roadhouse, a million movies we talked about, Narrow Margin. If you haven't found those ones, go back and listen to them. You can find us on Twitter. Phil, where are you these days on the internet? Where can we find you? If Twitter is uh, a party, I'm skulking in the shadows, nervously sipping a pint. You but he's blue-checked. He's blue-checked. You can so find me under my name, Philip Gawthorne, at, uh, on Twitter. And I'm at Liam G. Billingham on Twitter, probably complaining about French cinema. <laughs> that's that's who I am. We're also on Instagram at DieHardOAB, also on Twitter at DieHardOAB. And you can email us questions, comments, concerns, thoughts at DieHardOAB at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch, let's, let's tell us what you think of the movies. Also, please, if you haven't, click the subscribe button, rate the show, review the show. We've gotten some good reviews. We should start reading those reviews yeah. on the show. Let's start doing it. Yeah. Our moms deserve to be heard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the funny thing about that is I'd have to be like, no, mom, I'll, sh I'll write it I'll write for, it for you. you. I know you don't know how to get on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Phil, what's next on the show? Next time we are doing Patriot Games. Ooh. Lots, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Harrison Ford, my, my guy. Lots to unpack. Can't wait to talk about it. Uh, I'm Liam Billingham. I'm Philip Gawthorne. We will be back next time with some new FBI guys, I guess. Die Hard on a Blank is a podcast hosted and written by Philip Gawthorne. Liam Billingham co-hosts and produces the show. 
Mike Mayer and Michael Sugar are the executive producers. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DieHardOAB. Please rate, review, and subscribe and follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to Suki Chu and the whole team at Sugar23. See you next time on Die Hard on a Blank. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.